started out as a small Bible study group in Tennessee, led by a former high school guidance counselor. But, of course, it soon turned into something much bigger. This Bible group was the beginning of what's now known as the 12 Tribes Christian Sect, an organization whose goal is to, quote, produce 144,000 male virgins to prepare the way for Christ's second coming. Today, we're going to tell you about 12 Tribes and its founder, Albert Eugene Spriggs. We'll get into how he created multi-million dollar businesses, which include a famous tea brand. And we'll also discuss the many accusations of alleged child abuse. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Every week, we're going to cover your favorite cults, faith followers, and secret societies. We'll look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. Today, we're going to tell you about the controversial and highly secretive fundamentalist Christian sect, 12 Tribes, and its founder, Elbert Eugene Spriggs. What a name. We'll get into all of the controversies and accusations of racism, homophobia, and anti-Semitism, and the decades of alleged child abuse. Oh, good. Everything then. Fun. We'll also look at how Spriggs established businesses worth millions of dollars, including a tea company whose products can be found in supermarkets across the United States. And also, maybe just even in your own kitchen, too. And just a heads up, in this episode, there will be content that is not suitable for children. Kick them out of your house and never financially support them ever again. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. All right, let's get into Elbert Eugene Spriggs' early life. But for full transparency, it was hard to find a lot of legitimate information about Spriggs. And a lot of what we did find about his early life is from the 12 Tribes website itself. So not the best. Elbert Eugene Spriggs was born just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1937. His father worked in a factory and was also a scoutmaster. Red flag. Yeah, and he was raised in a strict Christian household and he had to attend church up to three times a week. Three times? Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of Jesus. And I don't know how much you know about this, Mm -hmm. but I'll let you in on a secret. Mm -hmm. Mass is always the same. This is the thing. So you just have to go do the same thing three times a week? Well, like, 
the reading from the gospel will be different. The catechism will be different. But the like, theme is different. But generally. It's not really a theme. It's just like the bits of the Bible they read differ. So it's Ugh. like St. Paul to the Galatians oh one God. week. And then like, but you're not listening anyway. I'm bored. I was just thinking as we were saying that, there isn't a single thing apart from eat, sleep and record podcasts that I do more than three times a week. Shower. Eat, sleep, shower and do podcasts. <laughs> Grown. <laughs> <laughs> so, despite his rigid upbringing, Spriggs acted like a lot of teens. So he wasn't a big churcho himself. He is like a, a regular teen. Mm-hmm. He liked to party, drink, and smoke. And he was also good at American football, which got him a scholarship to university, where he studied psychology. According to the Twelve Tribes website, Spriggs felt guilty because he felt like he couldn't live up to his father's expectations, presumably of being a scout. Also, isn't that just the story of every single person's life in existence ever? Uh, Yeah, yeah. I got round it because my dad's dead. Replace that father with some parent. (laughs) Or some guardian. Or if you don't have those, God. Yeah, I mean, you will always eternally disappoint God, that's a guarantee. And this guilt resulted in his decision to get married at the age of 19, which even in 1956, which is when he did it, seems like a little bit on the young side. Yeah, I mean, my only reference to the 50s is watching Mad Men. And in that, they don't get married when they're 19. They're a little bit older. No, but quite a lot of the women in that TV show have jobs. Well, it was a bad move because the marriage didn't last very long. And apparently, Daddy Spriggs' last words to his disappointing son was that he was to, quote, give his life to God. All right, fucking daddy's breaks. Chill out. You're dying. Just die quietly. Don't now also tar him with another thing that he can never live up to. So after Daddy Spriggs shuffled off his mortal coil, Spriggs the Younger married his second wife and was then drafted into the US Army. The military assigned him to perform psychological testing on new recruits because he had a degree in psychology. That sounds like a bad idea. He's not a doctor. Also, it would seem like the military haven't done a psychological assessment of the person they've asked to do psychological assessments on everybody. No. Because if they had, I'm guessing there would have been some red flags and some cult wind chimes just filling the air. Yeah, I think it's giving me Ed Kemper vibes. Mm. Like when he worked in a psychiatrist's office and just gamed the system. But just like his first marriage, his stint in the military didn't last particularly long. And after that, he got a job as a high school teacher and guidance counsellor. A few years later, Spriggs gave up on that job too, as well as his second marriage. He's not a sticker-atter, is Spriggs. No, he's a Mm giver-upper. How disappointing. How disappointing. Father is disappointed. (laughs) And after he gave up on these two things, he decided to join a travel company where he became a tour director. But Spriggs, again in classic form, soon also tired of this job and ended up working at a friend's carnival in Alabama. And this is when, according to Spriggs, who was now in his early 30s, heard the voice of God, who said to him, is this why I created you? I think that's your dad, mate. I'm not sure that that is uh, God. It's the classic sort of narcissistic, tendency that he's like this isn't good enough for me but everything he's ever done has felt like it's not been good enough for him probably why he keeps giving up on every single thing that he does and then it's also 
the crazy and the narcissist mixed together where he can hear God's voice telling him that this isn't good enough. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. And it gets worse. It gets much worse. It's just the arrogance is quite unbelievable. Around 1970, Spriggs spent some time in California where he was influenced by the Jesus movement. And if you haven't heard about that, don't worry about it because I'm about to tell you. The Jesus movement was a Christian evangelical movement. Surprise, surprise. Imagine it was, oh, it was a brotherhood of Islam, but just in disguise. <laughs> they were just trying to flip it around just to confuse you. And then boom. Yeah. Now you're in the group. Yeah, yeah. We believe in Jesus too. We just don't think he's God. Yeah, that's just a that's minor how they get difference. <laughs> it's just a minor difference. It definitely hasn't caused loads and loads of issues amongst loads and loads of religions ever. So the Christian evangelical movement were not Muslims in disguise. They were real life Christians. And they believed that in returning to the original life of the early Christians, uh-oh. Uh, um, uh-oh. Yeah, so they believed that you had to live just like the early Christians. And you know who also believes that you should live a life of the fourth century? Is it Madonna? It's Isis. <laughs> That's their whole bag, is recreating the world upon which Muhammad walked, mm-hmm. which includes slavery, mm-hmm. forced marriage, mm-hmm. all sorts. All of it. So, surprise, guys. The internet's great. Like, it's fine. You don't need to... We don't need to go back. Let's just keep moving forward. Don't go back. But Spriggs loved it. It was right up his street because he was like, oh, this new world stuff, like having a job, not working out, not doing it for me. Yeah, I mean, typically, I would say that anybody who joins a doomsday cult is probably not like A-OK happy with their current life. I would say. I think that's a reasonable assumption Mm, to make. mm -hmm. Because if someone was like, oh my God, Saru, the world's going to end up, I'd be like, no! Not, oh my God, that sounds great. Really? Because I'd do heroin. (laughs) I'd just scream until we were dead. I don't think I would know how to cope. (laughs) No, that's one of my favourite things about you is you just accept your fate in every every scenario. I have. You're just like, well, Well, it was going to happen sooner or later. That's what Saru does when she's in trouble. She accepts her fate. Spriggs is creating his own. He was taking a walk on a California beach and he decided that in the light of the new teachings he'd learned from the Jesus people, that he was going to rededicate his life to Jesus. And bonus, he wasn't just going to do it quietly. He wasn't going to do it nicely. He wasn't just going to go to church like a normal fucking person. He was the one who was responsible for leading other people to Christ. So now it explains everything for him, doesn't it? That's the thing. It's like all this time I've been trying to be married or have a job or live a life. I kept failing, not because I'm a giant failure and have no ability to stick at anything I've committed to. It's because I was always meant to be doing something greater. Ding, 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 ding. I don't know why you even bother anymore. But in the next couple of years, preaching in Santa Barbara and in Wyoming, and it was in Wyoming, not Santa Barbara, so she's not a beach babe, his fourth wife. This guy's in his 30s. I'm not slut-shaming him, it's just a fact. (laughs) I can't keep up. No, nor can I. So her name was Marsha, and it's thought that she was an atheist and that Spriggs converted her to Christianity. We were just talking about this morning about another atheist who's now converted to radical traditional Catholicism. Fucking gun girl, Clayton and Bennett, is now like, we should have mass in Latin and I'm afraid of being eaten by worms. What? More people just going back in time. More yes, proof yes, that absolutely. just going back in time is a bad idea. Let's just, again, just keep going forward, everybody. So the couple, Marsha and Spriggs, moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1972. And they founded a community church and opened a coffee shop in their house, which they called the Lighthouse. 
one of the Christian summer camps I used to have to go to was called Lighthouse. It's quite a nice name for a cafe or a uh, youth group. I mean, it technically was a youth group, but it was just a lot of Catholics sat in a tent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was bad times. <laughs> that makes me sad. <laughs> my mom just shipped all three of us. She's like, bye. <laughs> was it free? Because then I would do that. I don't free know if it was free. Free child. It can't have been free. I don't think it was very expensive. Yeah, that's why subsidized, cheap, church-led <laughs> childcare. And I will pretend to be religious for that in the future if okay. I ever have children. Fantastic. So there's Lighthouse and then I went to another one called Backpackers, which was a bit more Catholic than Lighthouse. Lighthouse was a bit more secular. And when I was at Backpackers, I was a part of the world record-breaking biggest hokey-cokey of all time. There is so much I don't know about you. <laughs> I just keep coming out with it. I also think Americans call it the hokey-pokey, which is incorrect. And when I lived in Costa Rica... I knew an English guy out there and there aren't many. And we were talking about it because we we're learning how to be teachers. So obviously you're talking about children's games and stuff. And he was like, thank you so much because I've been around Americans for so long that I convinced I'd made up the hokey cokey and it actually was the hokey pokey the whole time. And I'd lost my mind. I was like, no, it's the hokey cokey. Well, something I'd never thought about, but now I will, <laughs> I will catch it every time it is said to me. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And I don't know if they were doing the hokey cokey or the hokey pokey at the lighthouse, but it seemed to attract teenagers, local teenagers, because it was here that Spriggs began preaching to these local adolescents. Mm. And he called his little service the Light Brigade. So the Light Brigade followers began sharing their beliefs in their own newspaper, which they called Light Brigade Free Paper. Really thinking outside all the boxes here. And they would hand this paper out at local gatherings and concerts. Because nothing people like more than a free paper when you're at a concert. I mean, sure, it's better than the people who stand and sing about Jesus outside Dalston Overground Station and give you flyers and mixtapes. At least they're bringing a bit of music to the environment. But anyway, back to Spriggs. Spriggs would give informal Bible lectures, which feels like a bit of an oxymoron, (laughs) an informal Bible lecture. But he'd give these on the regular in his living room, which were reportedly apparently very engaging and could last for hours. So many of the attendees were runaways and addicts who were looking for enlightenment. And the Spriggses eventually invited some of them to move in. And there you have it, my friends, the beginning of commune living. Mm -hmm. Apparently, the Spriggs hoped to teach these young people an ethic of unselfishness and brotherly love in accordance to the New Testament. To support their growing church and household, Spriggs and his wife opened a restaurant called the Yellow Deli, where members worked for their room and board, not a paycheck. According to reports, followers worked up to 100 hours a week. Bloody hell. Mm -hmm. How many people do you need working at a deli? Maybe it was a 24-hour deli. Maybe. It would have to be. (laughs) The church also set up a separate corporate entity for tax purposes. And they called this commercial entity T-H-E Community Apostolistic Order, which functioned as a non-profit religious organization. And what does that mean? No taxes. No taxes. Exactly. And this meant that their church could have a common treasury and engage in businesses for profit, it's a nice little workaround. It's like having a loan out company, exactly a loan out company that doesn't pay tax, for quote, the common good of the members, but not paying them. No, 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 don't be silly. Come 
Coming up, we'll get into Albert Eugene Spriggs's beliefs, one that included the need for 144,000 male virgins. Before we get into the beliefs of the 12 tribes, let's go over a few of the many name changes the group has gone through over the years. They've been known as the Vine Christian Community Church, the Messianic Communities, which sounds a little bit Freemasony if you ask me, Yellow Deli People, which... (laughs) It sounds like a subscription service for deli products that you can get delivered to your flat in London. Yeah, or like Deli Belly, like something you'd pick up on a holiday. Like, just not... Yeah, it sounds like a smash-up between Deli Belly and Yellow Fever. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a disease. I'm not pro, I'm not pro. Yellow Deli. Yellow Deli Got Fever in your belly. <laughs> uh, they also were called the Community Apostolic Order. And there have been many, many more names to add to the confusion. We're not going to tell you because we don't want to. Today, we're going to stay consistent and use the current name, 12 Tribes. So in 1975, Albert Eugene Spriggs and his followers broke off from conventional Christianity when their church cancelled its service one Sunday for a football game. He got so upset that people went to football instead of church that he saw it as a sign that traditional Christian churches were allowing the secular world to take priority over God. Which is never a message of good news. No, and I was about to say, is it because he's not very good at football? But he was very good at football because that's how he got into university. Yeah. Maybe he hated being reminded of his failure so much. Ah. He was like, no, I tried the football thing. Mm -hmm. It ran its course. I'm doing God stuff now. Yeah. Let me do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm giving this a go now. Mm Mm-hmm. And he did give it a go. He gave it a whole go by making up his own church, which he founded and called the Vine Christian Community Church. It's a lot of vine metaphors in Christianity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like Jesus is the vine, we are his branches. Yep. Eat of my body, etc. I am the fruit. It's, you know. Yeah, it's all in there. There's a lot of metaphors surrounding grapes and vines. Spriggs believed that church wasn't a place or organization. He said it was a lifestyle that put the Bible's teachings first. A lot of people think that. Mm -hmm. And this is when he said that he and his followers, quote, stopped going to church. I don't know if I can say this with a straight face. And started being the church. Do you know what that reminds me of? Like, you've watched Succession, right? No. Okay. Well, one of the actors in Succession is like quite famously method. The guy who plays Kendall Roy. And I was talking about it with my cousins and they all like love it. He does these interviews where he's like, for six months of the year, I am Kendall Roy. And like he lives his life as his character. I'm like, imagine being on set with such a colossal dick. Like, I think what people forget, right, is a lot of what makes a good actor, like someone pleasant to work with, people who want to like see again, you'll keep getting hired, is by being easy to work with. And if you're pretending to be your character the whole time on set for six months of the year, you are not easy to work with, you're obnoxious. I can't stand it. Oh, I bet. I mean, I don't expect anything better from actors, though. That's what I expect. I'm not shocked by any of this. (laughs) Most of them aren't like that. I mean, I don't care to find out. Good luck to you. Yeah, so they're being the church. And uh, in a weird move, Spriggs also began referring to Christianity itself as the harlot. Well, well, well. And they even began holding their own services, which they named 
critical mass. Spriggs became known as Apostle and began baptizing followers in a local lake. He would eventually take on the Hebrew name Yonek, which translates as tender shoot or sprig. I see what he did there. Mm, yes, yes. He's thought about this. Remember, his name is Sprig. So Spriggs asked members to live in the community houses. These tended to be single-family homes that were owned or rented by the church. And each house might have had dozens of people living in it. Spriggs took elements of Christian fundamentalism, the Hebrew Roots movement, and Messianic Judaism. He told his followers that God wanted them to cut themselves off completely from modern society. To do this, they weren't allowed any media, there was no television, no radio, no books, or any secular music. Of course, he's saying like modern stuff, right? But what he's also doing is complete information control. You can't get any information. If you can't read books, listen to the radio, or watch television, Mm. that means all of the information you are getting now comes from me. Yeah. Also, are you really expecting me to believe that if Jesus was around now, he wouldn't want an iPad? No, he would hate it. I think he'd be fruit ninjaing with the rest of us. I really do. The gospel according to Spriggs. <laughs> That's not where it stops. So you can't entertain yourself and you also can't have anything. Members were required to donate all of their possessions to the group and Spriggs told them that they had to do that for eternal salvation. Mm-hmm. According to the 12 Tribes website, they say they are, quote, disciples of the Son of God who they call by his Hebrew name, Yeshua. And they say they live their lives like early disciples. So being chaste, pious, hardworking, and living all together under the same roof. Why not? Just just to be clear, just in case anybody didn't get that, Yeshua is the traditional Hebrew name for Jesus. Again, they're like, let's go way, way back. Yeah, and be purposefully obscure. Just really, really don't believe that any of the 12 were chased. I just, <laughs> I, I just don't buy it. I mean, I assume so. There was very little to do back then. <laughs> Would you be chased? Probably not. So the 12 tribes believed that in order for Jesus' second coming to occur, they must raise 144,000 perfect male virgins. You know what? Mm-hmm. I am going to say one thing for Spriggs. Please. At least it's men this time. It's always women. Men are allowed to do whatever the fucking want. Yeah. So, you know what? I think it's because he likes them. Okay, less great. But like... <laughs> but he's mixing it up. It's a nice change. There you go. Yeah, in the least nice way possible. <laughs> so this idea of needing 144,000, just to be 144,000 male virgins, came from Spriggs' interpretation of the Bible's book of Revelation, which depicts the battle of Armageddon. According to the 12 Tribes website, men are expected to wear long beards and tie their hair back, while women must, of course, still dress modestly. Spriggs also had extensive rules on child rearing, and he wrote all of these rules down in an 800-page manual, which he entitled Authority Teaching. He had one child of his own, but he didn't even bother to raise him in the group. (laughs) But the children that are in the group, that are allowed in, not his own son. Probably because he's like, I know how fucked up this is. Yeah. I've got one kid. I won't bring him up here. I'll fuck him up in my own way. (laughs) Children within the group were expected to obey on, quote, the first command without talking back or complaining. They weren't allowed toys or bikes and they weren't allowed to engage in fantasy play either. They only read the Bible and the group's dogma. And obviously they were homeschooled. That's a bit of a no-brainer. Until the eighth grade. And after that, they were put to work. And the sect called that an apprenticeship in inverted commas. 
Sure. So it's not like they get to go to school no. after eighth grade. You, you don't just... want them to know things. No. That's no, no, the no. opposite of what you want. Mm-hmm. You don't want them to know things, to own things, or even be able to use their brains to have an imagination. You want none of that to happen. Just get them into an apprenticeship inside the cult. Mm. A former member of the sect said that kids aren't taught critical thinking, which is, of course, a teaching that would allow them to challenge the tribe's doctrine. I will say, in my tiny experience, in my very small paradigm, I was most certainly not encouraged to critically think within the Catholic Church either. So I don't think it's a 12 tribes specific thing. I think it would be the same for any religion. I also think it's particularly Mm. not the same, sadly, for education systems around the world right now, because they're just like exam factories. We're not trying to teach kids to think critically. It's particularly pronounced here. If you've got kids, encourage them to think critically. and uh, let them play fantasy games. So 12 Tribes attempts to include every member in decision-making, but there is a hierarchy. Each of the communities, so 25 in the US and about 25 in other countries, is overseen by in-house leaders, who are themselves overseen by a tribal council in a regional office, who are in turn overseen by the Apostolic Council a fluid number of elders scattered across the US. They have been known to recruit new members at music festivals, including the likes of Reading and Glastonbury. In the year 2000, they even had a 24-hour cafe at Glastonbury, where they handed out literature that blamed Jewish people for the death of Jesus. Yeah, that's... Salespeople at Glastonbury... Yeah. Probably vet the people you're selling spaces to (laughs) that are just hanging out there, handing out anti-Semitic pamphlets to the people just trying to have a good time. Yeah. I mean, it's super anti-Semitic, but it's also obviously not condoning this at all. That is not a a rhetoric that has been invented by them. That is very present throughout all of Christianity. I see, I see. So, of course, given the fact that they blame Jewish people for the death of Jesus, and I've been handing out literature about this, the group have often been labelled anti-Semitic. Rightfully so, it would appear. But they apparently deny the accusation. But they really want you to know that that's what the Jewish people did. But Mm. we're not anti-Semitic. We just need you to know that they killed Jesus. The group have also been accused of prohibiting medical care. But the group also denies these allegations, stating that medical care is a matter of personal choice. But you can't have personal choice because we didn't let you think critically and we're telling you not to. It's not a choice if it's not available to you. (laughs) Followers who don't work in the church-owned restaurants are usually doing some form of labour on the communes or other 12 tribes-owned businesses. The Southern Poverty Law Center says that the group actively proselytizes to African-Americans, yet one of its black leaders glorifies the early Ku Klux Klan. Difficult sell on that one. The Southern Poverty Law Center also say that the 12 tribes teach their followers that the Bible holds that blacks are servants of whites and that slavery was, quote, a marvelous opportunity for black people. And in 2018, the Southern Poverty Law Center added that the 12 tribes is a cult. And as if the racism and the anti-Semitism isn't enough to turn you off completely, Spriggs also preached that gay people, quote, deserved the death penalty. And even today on the 12 tribes website, they say that being gay is, quote, immoral and can be mortally dangerous. Not loving any of that. How entirely Christian of you to be so accepting of your fellow man. Yeah, and also just him going on about 144,000 male virgins all the time. Yeah. 
kind of makes me feel like I think you might be projecting, Spriggs. Mm. Just a little bit. Up next, we'll get into the decades of alleged child abuse accusations that have been made against the 12 tribe sect. So let's get into the businesses that 12 Tribes owns and operates, as well as the many accusations of abuse surrounding the sect. We mentioned earlier that Spriggs and his wife Marsha opened a cafe in the 70s called the Yellow Deli, which was to help support the church. Today, there are Yellow Delis in the UK, Australia, Argentina, Brazil, Japan, and of course, all around the United States and Canada. What? There are Yellow Delis in the UK? Should we go and find it? Yeah, let's. I would Google it, but I'm going to lose my spot. I'll Google it. Oh, oh fuck that. Oh, okay. So there's just one. I'm not going to Devon. <laughs> they also have dealings in construction, landscaping, body care products, an organic food company, and a tea business. In 2012, they reportedly had sales of $26 million. And that was just in 2012. The tea they sell is their own brand of yerba mate that they call Mate Factor, which sounds like a new matte foundation from Max Factor. Mm. But I will bet you 50 quid right now it is in the Whole Foods opposite my house. Guaranteed. I bet. After the Yogi Tea episode we did, <laughs> so many people sent us pictures of Yogi Tea boxes in their kitchen. And yeah, like it probably won't be surprising if it is in Whole Foods because apparently Mate Factor can be found in restaurants and supermarkets all around the world. As we mentioned earlier, 12 Tribes has been accused of rejecting modern medicine. In the 1980s, a whooping cough epidemic, it's very Victorian of them, spread through one of its communities. When a parent of a sick baby consulted elders of the group, they reportedly told him, if God wants her to live, he'll save her. Fucking hell. And then the baby died. That is disgusting. I think it's the Seventh-day Adventists that have Mm -hmm. a similar thing. And there was someone who I went to school with her like brother had been babysat by a Seventh-day Adventist and obviously her mum didn't know and he was choking and she didn't save him. And then like magically someone came home just in time and it was all fine. But like, Oh my yeah. God, the mental gymnastics you have to do to go against every biological fibre of your being to stand aside and take no proactive action when someone is dying in front of you, especially a child. Wow. Yeah, that you're being paid to look after as well. I mean, the commitment of that kind of thinking. It's crazy. I also think the Christian scientists are the same, aren't they? Yes, I think you're right, actually. And another horrifying example of this was when another member developed something called placenta previo, which is when the placenta blocks the birth canal. And she was told that if she prayed hard enough, God would move the placenta out of the way. And that baby died too. For God's sake. In 1984, a member was accused of allegedly beating a 13-year-old. 90 state troopers and 50 social workers raided a 12 tribes compound in Vermont. They took 112 children. Prosecutors asked for a 72-hour detention for the kids so that they would have time for them to be examined by medical experts. But the judge denied the request and all of the children were returned before they were examined for signs of abuse. And the case against the member was eventually dropped. That seems like a bad move. That seems like you dropped the ball there. You dropped all the balls. In 2001, 
the New York Post ran an article accusing the group of child labor violations. The 12 tribes responded with a press conference on the property where the alleged child labor had taken place. So bold. They're like, Mm. come have a look. The 12 tribes reported that during a random inspection by Estee Lauder companies, who they were making products for, the company discovered that several 14-year-olds had been found assisting their fathers at work. The report was later confirmed by Estee Lauder, who terminated its contract with them. So like, they're not doing child labor. They're just take your kid to work day is every day. Yeah, take your kid to work day is every day. Every day is a maybe. And every day is also don't send your kid to school day. I mean, I was going to say good for Estee Lauder, but just because they're not employing children in the West doesn't mean they're not employing children elsewhere. Yes. In Germany in 2013, authorities raided 12 tribes settlements in Bavaria and they took 40 children between the ages of 18 months and 17 years and put them into foster care. This was after a hidden camera media report showed the parents caning children as punishment. Members of the group didn't deny using the cane. They wrote about the incident on their website and said about the kids, quote, when they are disobedient or intentionally hurtful to others, we spank them with a small reed-like rod, which only inflicts pain, not damage. Oh, phew. Yeah. Mm. And then they went on to say, quote, because we love them, we do spank them. I mean, again, they're getting it from the Bible. What yeah, that's is it? Super Bible. Spare the rod, spare the child. Spare the rod, spoil, spoil the, the child. child. That's it. And to be fair, not to be fair, but because they're doing that, oh, we're in the past times. Mm-hmm. People are smacking their kids about all the time, not condoning it, but that would be their argument. Yeah. In 2018, the news show Inside Edition went undercover into a soap factory run by the sect. Here they found children as young as nine years old working in it. Again, very Victorian. The rod, the whooping cough, mm-hmm. child labor, it's all here. It's all here. So after the story broke, a member wrote a statement saying, quote, We make no apologies that we include our children in the tasks of our life. They wash dishes, they pull weeds in the garden, they sweep the floor. And most of the children who were found at the factory were there on a Sunday visiting their parents on their own property. If they were putting tubes in boxes, it was for minutes, not hours, not days. The soap shop is their home. It is their place. I mean, really, what can you say about this? They're just like, they were just there literally did it for minutes and in that minute they caught it on tape and then made it look like it was running <laughs> yeah. some sort of child labor factory which is definitely not what we're doing they were there visiting their parents after a wholesome week at school and doing extracurricular activities they're also acting like i don't think anyone's alleging that children should do nothing around the house this is the thing <laughs> they're twisting everything they're like so you're now saying is that the crazy modern world in which we live that mm. children shouldn't be doing chores well no wonder all the kids of today are completely fucked up it's like that's not what's happening what was your most hated childhood chore dishes Really? That's boring. Yeah. That is the most boring of all of the chores. What about for you? I've got two. Mm. One was we had an apple tree in the garden and my job was to pick up the rotten apples in the summer that had wasps in them. And that like rancid apple smell. I'm very like sniff sensitive. And the other one is also smell accompanied. So I cannot to this day touch cling film because the smell makes me feel sick because my other job was to clean out the lunch boxes of my brother and my sister oh yeah so like that smell of like cling film and like half old sandwich like no so if i ever have children which i won't because they're disgusting no lunch boxes that's horrendous so eugene spriggs eventually died in january 2021 he was 83 years old and as of january 2022 there are two dozen 12 tribes communities in the United States with an estimated population of 3,000 members worldwide, 
including Canada, Argentina, Australia, England, Japan, Brazil, and Spain. Is this mm -hmm. the first one we've done on Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from podcast, <laughs> where he got away with it? I think it is. I think it I think might he be. lived on his old age. He never got done in by the IRS. Yeah, I think you might be right. Kept all his money. Because you've got to run the legit business. Maybe <laughs> it's because he didn't go too far. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm not saying that making children work and like, he doesn't like go crazy. He doesn't draw attention to himself. Doesn't draw attention to himself. He keeps it quite low key. We're just an honest little Christian sect trying to run some cafes. Yeah. Don't look at the children with no hands because I've sent them under the loom. Exactly, exactly. And there you go. Maybe that's the big takeaway from it. So that is the story of 12 tribes. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. And we just want to give a shout out to the sources that we used in this episode. We referenced the Pacific Standard, the Independent, the Seattle Times, and the Times Union. And if you like this show, follow at Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram and at Podcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us and you want to hear us talk about some other things, like maybe some true crime cases, then you are in luck, my friend, dear listener, because you can head on over and search for Red Handed, the podcast, anywhere you listen to your podcast. And it's basically this show, but Hannah and I talk about different murders and serial killers and cults and... And we just did a two-parter on Scientology. We did. We just did a two-parter on that. And we've also got a two-parter coming up very, very soon on uh, a bunch of Russian poisonings that have been done in the UK. Yeah. Like the case of Alexander Litvinenko. So if you want to hear about that, come check it out. It's red-handed. We'll see you next time here or there or both, or maybe outside your window. You never know. Bye. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Podcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Gemma Waters. Sound designed by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. Research by Chelsea Wood and fact-checking by Cara McAleen. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala. <laughs>